Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. In March of 2020, small and large businesses had only hours to pack up and begin navigating the new normal of remote or hybrid work. And fast forward to today, a little over two years later, it's clear that the pandemic has left a permanent mark on our teams and our processes. So in today's episode of Transform Your Workplace, I interview Allie Green. Allie is the former director of people operations for the search engine DuckDuckGo, and she's a work expert, speaker, advocate, and she's got a new book coming out at some point during this year called Remote Work. And she'll share how to keep teams that are remote connected and productive no matter where their office is. You're going to get a lot of great takeaways from this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Make sure to connect with Allie on all the social media channels and make sure to connect with me on on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Enjoy the interview with Allie Green, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, Ali, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So with all the talk about remote work, hybrid work, return to work, how do you tend to think about all those things in kind of a package? Because I know, especially in the circles that I'm running in, hybrid work is the word right now. What do you think about all this? Yes, definitely. So I think it's fascinating how certain terms become very trendy and people like to really latch their claws into it. And it becomes such a big focus that people forget to take a step away and actually ask themselves, how are we defining this? What does it mean for our organization? What does it mean for our teams? And when people start talking about hybrid and return to the office and remote work, uh, I like to question the assumptions of people and ask them a few different things before I give my own definition. So one of the things I like to ask people is, well, how are you ensuring that your employees have access to information in order to get their job done? And as soon as you ask that question, usually I get a few blank stares and people are like, well, why are you asking me that question? I'm talking about hybrid work and remote work and working from anywhere. And it's about where you're located. And I'm like, well, No, it's not. It's about how are you using the technology to provide knowledge because knowledge is power to let people be more effective and efficient in their jobs. And once you reframe the question that way, for me, I define hybrid as a real estate strategy. Do you want to invest in office buildings as part of your cost structure for running a business? Are you going to take the risk of entering into long-term rentals? Do you want to buy property? Do you want to have a global hiring pool and come to terms with the benefits of that, which is all of this amazing talent from anywhere, and also the compliance of learning how to hire or investing in companies that can help you hire around the world. But for me, when I think of remote work, I think it will truly just become work in the future. And so I define remote work 
as using today's tools and technology to help humans have behaviors to do their job better. So if one person in your company is using things like storing information on the cloud, having a central knowledge base that's not a filing cabinet in an office, then you're embracing remote work from a technology standpoint because you're using tools and technology and the digital landscape in order to do your work. And then it's just about how much freedom and flexibility are you going to integrate into your company culture. And that is where I think people get really hung up on, well, are we hybrid? Are we remote? Are we going to let people make their own decisions about where they get their best work done? And that's where the conversation has been focused on and kind of stalled for the past two years. And it feels like we can't get over that conversation quite yet. I like the way you put it, because I think right now it's kind of a language issue. We want to put ourselves in this box of like hybrid work. But to your point, if we're using some of these tools, we're already embracing remote work. Do you think it's just a language issue at this point or maybe not a full understanding of what remote work actually is? I think it's easy to get hung up on the language issue because people want to put themselves in a box so that they can check the box and say, yes, we're a hybrid company. And then there is shared understanding, which makes it a language issue until everyone has the same definition of remote work, the same definition of hybrid work. It takes a lot of effort for HR teams, for companies to really explain what it means for them. However, I think that effort is worth it at all points of a hiring process, an onboarding process, a retention process to make sure that people have clear expectations on what it means to be part of your organization. For many organizations, my company included, the pandemic was really an experiment into the world of remote work or distributed work, however you want to describe it. How do you think that's going for most organizations? Because most of these organizations were probably never open to remote work in the first place, and the pandemic sort of forced them into it. How do you think most of those organizations adapted? Not necessarily as well as I would have hoped, because I am such... Like remote work for me is one of those things where I can sit here and talk about it at a professional level and have a great amount of enthusiasm for it. But for who I am as a person, remote work has dramatically changed my personal life. And when I think about everything that has happened to me since 2014, when I first started working remotely and how much... I have gone through in my life from dealing with a chronic illness to meeting my romantic partner to moving to a different continent and now being able to like be traveling and on the road and visiting my family and working and not having to take time off because I find my work very interesting and it grounds me. Like the way I've designed my life, I'm so amazed by how much remote work can open doors. I meet people from different countries all of the time that no longer have to make the choice of immigrating to a new country or having a terrible selection in their job market and how inspiring it can be for them or towns that now have really cool, interesting people moving to them because they can work anywhere. So like before I go on this big rant about like all of these just sort of like personal and sociological and government political reasons why I think remote work is really interesting, going back to professional, a lot of companies 
didn't necessarily understand that level of impact that remote work can have on the world. And so when they were thrust into it because of the pandemic, I heard stories from my friends where they had less than 24 hours to get all of their belongings from their company and get home. Forget about having a strong remote work culture in place. They were working on desktops and didn't even have like laptops to work from. Like they were in no way prepared for this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. IT departments were scrambling to help. Yeah, like IT people are like some of the true heroes <laughs> of the work from home experiment over the past two years, like figuring out how to make sure people could transition just to that was incredible. And if you're starting at that level of scrambling as much as you can catch up in two years, I don't think anybody was thinking about it in a way where it was let's really question assumptions, let's really break boundaries because there was enough things going on that everybody had to deal with that I don't think people really wanted to change everything and throw their life into chaos. The whole world was in chaos. And so my hope is that there were some companies that did a really amazing job with this experiment. There's a bunch of companies that thought it was really cool and they want to keep getting better at it. There are some companies that are in the middle and now they're seeing things with employee demands of more flexibility and however you define flexibility. Again, I think shared definitions is very important. Trying to understand, well, how do we be more flexible if working from home didn't really work for our organization? How do we improve it so that we can keep up with the demand of the changing times? And there are some organizations to no fault of their own, that I think really just had to do the bare minimum to get through the past couple of years and never really intentionally thought, do we want to embrace this level of change in our organization? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you're making because I don't believe that most employers were fully bought into it and unlocked the benefits of it. I mean, like you said, you were remote since 2014. You were, I think you were telling me you were the is it the chief people officer at DuckDuckGo back in the day? And you guys were distributed, weren't you? Yeah, so I was, I was the director of people at DuckDuckGo. I was their very first people up hire when they were about 40 people. And it was a fully remote and fully distributed office. So we had an employee in Japan, people right. in South America. I was a digital nomad at the Getting time. talent all over the world. Talent all over the world. And we still had an office, which which most surprises most people. It was this, it looked like a, a little house in a town called Malvern, Pennsylvania, across from a car dealership and a Starbucks. And if you think of like globally distributed tech startup, like going against like Google search. That doesn't fit the mold. <laughs> That does not fit the mold. Um, and we were successful and we grew. And, and I helped the company scale to 100 people before I decided to transition and focus full time on my book and just advocating for remote work in general. And it, it was cool to see how many things I was able to learn because we were fully distributed and remote. Like, I remember on one particular offsite, a colleague of mine did a presentation on how people in Japan use the internet. And you would think like, oh, don't people use the internet the same everywhere? And just talking about the differences about culturally how people use things for utility versus for fun and 
people talk about. You can't have social connection when you're working for a fully distributed company. A couple of weeks ago, I had lunch with 11 of my former colleagues from DuckDuckGo because our connection was so strong in a remote organization, only seeing each other in person once a year, that even though I don't work there anymore, I was like, you guys are finally having an in-person meetup. I have to come and say hi to you and see how you're all doing. So the excuse that you can't create culture if you don't have an office, I think is just incredibly lame. I think you can't create culture if you don't know how to define culture. You can't create culture if you don't want to put the effort in. You need to be intentional, whether you're in an office or remote. Remote just forces the intentionality a little bit more. Do you think there's some sort of distributed movement happening right now with many organizations? Do you think a lot of companies are looking like uh, the DuckDuckGo model where they're like, hey, you know, we want to get talent all over the world and we want you know, employees to be happy and live wherever they want to live. Do you think that's happening? Yes and no. I think that now that companies have warmed up to remote work, we're going to see two extremes happen. I think we'll start to see a subset of companies that fully embrace remote defined as fully distributed, where they don't have any sort of centralized office. They employ people from around the world. They truly unlock time asynchronous communication where they are able to hire people agnostic of their time zone. And they're excited about the potential that brings in terms of a talent acquisition strategy. That's one side of things. I do think we'll see another batch of companies where they're excited about certain benefits of remote work, like spending more time with your family, reduced commuting, more like work-life integration and things of that nature. But because they feel their office culture was so strong pre-pandemic and they're not ready to put that full bet on making the change so far, or they have such a large imprint in one particular community so far that anybody they hire outside of that community, they'll already be an us versus them mentality. I think we'll see another set of companies that embrace remote work in what we're currently defining the hybrid strategy, where their talent acquisition strategy will still be relatively local for the time being. And they'll be isolated into certain regions or states or cities and allowing people to have more time and location flexibility without this global talent acquisition strategy. It's interesting you said that because I'm currently hiring for a role and my recruiting manager was asking, like, is this a, is this in-person, hybrid, remote? And I'm like asking myself the question, I'm like, well, what's the point? They don't need to be in person. <laughs> it's like this person's working on technology from a computer. Like it does, it does not matter. Like I think this is, I think more employers are going to wake up to this. Like, do they really need to be in person? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what is the added value of them being in person? Like I do understand still, if you think about what are the unique things you have to be in person for, there are plenty of jobs outside of knowledge jobs where there's a very strong in-person argument. But even within the knowledge sector, having access to certain equipment that's just cost prohibitive to provide people working from anywhere. I think about 3D printers, like until 3D printing gets as cheap as buying a laptop, sure, make a case that you need to have people centered around certain hubs if they use 3D printers every day in their working world. I don't think that applies to, to most jobs that, that I 
interact with in my consulting and and when I speak to people and talk about the majority of knowledge jobs that can exist. For a lot of companies that maybe are ready to make that shift to a distributed workforce, is there some sort of blueprint to follow? I imagine it's probably hard to make a shift. And maybe it, maybe it doesn't have to be, but is there some sort of blueprint that you'd recommend? There's a few things I think companies can do. So I don't think, even though I, I'm writing a book on the subject, I don't think you can just necessarily buy a book that tells you exactly all the answers to do and then you implement it. It's not that easy. What? Come on. It's not It's not that easy. But I will say what I love about how we're writing our book is that it's structured as a stream of reflection questions and activities that managers and leaders can ask themselves to make sure that you're taking these best practices, because there are certain best practices you can use and frameworks that you can use, and then customize them to decisions that need to be made at the organizational level. So I can't go into an organization without knowing them, their history, their values, and then just say, you can do these five things and you're going to be a successful remote company. But I can go into an organization, and this is something that we write about in our book, and say, in order to be successful, you need to do things like have collaboration kickoffs with your managers and your employees, which means do your managers truly know how to trust themselves? Do your managers know how they work best remotely so that they can teach their employees how to do the same? And do they know how to compromise when they have different work styles than their employees? If your manager is a total night owl and lives on the same time zone as a very junior employee who needs a lot of coaching and is an early bird, how do you handle that situation? And there's a few different ways that you can work that out. And so having things like you need to have a team charter, you need to talk about expectations about how often you have real-time meetings, what are the goals of the real-time meetings, where is all of your knowledge going to be sourced and contained, who's responsible for adding to it, how do decisions get made. There, there are a core set of decisions that can be answered, but I don't think any one company's answer should look like another. So one company might decide, okay, we we need to have core working hours where everybody's time zone or their ability to be online and present overlap at least two hours. This is great if a team is more junior, they need more real-time support for learning and development, they have a lot of questions and they need some more hand-holding to get their job done. If your team is super independent and autonomous, having that sort of expectation could really limit them and feel like they're being micromanaged and could really do the opposite and hurt you in the long run. So I don't know that about an organization and therefore couldn't say do this versus that. But those are the types of questions that leaders need to ask themselves. Yeah, it's good you mentioned the team charter because I was wondering if you would have some like organizational level operating agreements or principles that you'd have. And then even at the team level, especially if you have a team across different time zones, if you would have, you know, a way to communicate and expectations and things like that, just so everybody's in alignment. And it's easier to have a conversation when you have those agreements up front. Exactly. 
And there's a few other things you can do. So the team charter is all about the behaviors on the team. I also talk about a digital house. Um, and this was a term that was coined by someone, an expert that we interview in our book, Sarah Robertson, who used to work with the Edinburgh Futures Institute. And so when we talked about it, it's like, well, how do you think about your home? Well, you know that you do your cooking in your kitchen. So how do you think about the way that you do your work? Well, you do your project management perhaps in Asana, you do your socializing in Slack, you do your socializing in the living room. It, it really makes sense when you think of that metaphor. And then you can create really simple rules around that. So for example, every Monday, as soon as people start their day, they write in Slack the most important thing they need to get done that week. And if they need help with anything that shows vulnerability, that helps keep people accountable, and it starts to create a ritual, which is really important for team culture. And so those are some things that you can think about remote work and sort of getting lots of things done. So that way it helps with documentation, it helps with culture, it helps with processes in one simple way that's easy to understand. We have a similar thing also called the remote blueprint, where we talk through how do you break down really complex things. There's this problem in remote work where managers feel that they don't have visibility and so they don't know what people are working on. Well, how do you create a structure where you understand this is what everything that needs to get done for a certain project? These are the top priorities for that project. This is the person that's directly responsible for each part of that project. And so we can hold them accountable if the project doesn't move forward. And if you have that laid out, you don't actually need to see that person in an office or in a coffee shop or in a co-working space. You just need to know this part of the project was supposed to be completed on Friday it wasn't. This was the person that was responsible for it. Now let me go ask that person why it wasn't done. It seems like the role of a manager is going to change the the greatest out of like an entire remote workforce. Like they probably remember a time where they're like in person, it's easy to kind of check on people like their button seat. Now it's totally different. You're talking about making sure that things are getting done and how do you move things forward and probably a lot of project management. But you know, what do you recommend for managers to get up to speed on this whole remote work idea? Is it, do they need a lot of training, a paradigm shift altogether? Like, what is it? All of the above. I think managers, I, I, you know, I tip my hat to you if that's still a saying that people say, um, I think managers have it the hardest right now. They're the heartbeat of the organization. I think managers really hold it all together. And I don't think managers have enough training and support to learn how to do it all for everybody. And I don't think they should, I, I agree. Um, which is really important. Like, I don't think managers should have to learn how to do it all for everybody. So number one, I think structurally, and we're seeing a lot of innovative remote companies do this, they're chunking up the management role into lots of different roles because the old manager paradigm, you had to be good at a lot of different things. In a new manager paradigm, there's people that are really great at checking in on people at a personal level, making sure they're really thoughtful about their coaching and reaching their professional goals, sort of that people manager role. There's people that are naturally tuned to driving projects forward and being project managers. I think in a remote workforce, everybody needs to be good at project management, and that's a new skill set that will have to be learned by anyone who wants to continue to 
succeed and, and grow professionally, I think you're going to start seeing people be a little bit more strategic in the organization, even before they become at that VP level. And you're going to start having culture people that aren't just coming from people operations and HR that are coming from all throughout the organization and like a, a spider web weaving themselves together to make sure the support is there remotely. And so if you break up a manager who used to have to do all four of those things into four different people, it creates more connection in a remote organization and it allows each person to build their skill set one thing at a time which I think is really important because I think the next level of managers are going to have to get good at a lot of different types of skill sets in order to operate remotely. Let's end the conversation with this because I think it's it's probably the biggest and it probably could be its own episode to be honest with you, but uh, communication. Even at the leadership level, it's one thing. Even at the, the contributor level, it's another where you've got all these forms of communication. You got asynchronous, you got real time. What do we do here? Like what are the rules? What are the norms <laughs> of remote work? Anything that you could share with listeners that might help shed some light on the appropriate forms of communication in remote work would be great. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd love to come back and just deep dive into communication, but I'll leave you with three things to have all your listeners ponder about. One is change how you think about communication. People think about communication as people talking to people, but it's 2022. We have a lot of technology. Sometimes I think we have too much technology in the world, but we should embrace it. And so learn how to have systems communicate to people and have people to communicate to systems. What that means is instead of assuming you need to gather all the right people in real time to send a message, what if you sent a message to a tool or a system so that people can look at that information later and in creative ways that appeals to different learning styles. So when people hear, oh, communicate it, Later, I think they assume it's a lot of written form communication, which is great because it's really searchable and that's, that is documentation. And most people think that's quite boring. I, I love it. But you can also communicate to systems using video, using drawings. I used to sketch things out on pieces of paper and napkins. I do that too. <laughs> it's the best. Take pictures of it and yeah. upload it to project management software. And people understand. It's creative. It's fun. And you don't have to wait and send it to each person individually and be like, I took this picture. I was thinking of this project. You can send it to every stakeholder on the project so they see it all at once. So I think that's number one is rethink who's communicating with who. Number two, I like to call it the ABC of remote communication, which is asynchronous before calls. Try to communicate by one of those means of communication later before you jump on a real-time meeting? Did you communicate over email or text or in a project management call or even put together an agenda before you have a meeting? And I think this is just good in practice communication for office work as well. Everybody has too many meetings and not enough time to think and to, to do. We're so busy talking all the time. And then finally is most respectful interpretation. And this is something that I learned during my time at DuckDuckGo, it's really easy to assume the worst in people, but what happens if you just try to assume the best in people instead? So instead of someone hating your work or thinking that you're an idiot or thinking your design is ugly, what if they were just trying to write their feedback really fast because their three-year-old was drawing 
on the table and they were worried that the crayons were going to get on the table and not on the coloring book. And so they wanted to finish writing their Slack message really quick so they could go check on their three-year-old. Like, isn't that just like a more respectful interpretation of what could have happened rather than they hate your design? Like, what if we all just led with a little bit more grace and kindness? And I think that's really important with remote work. My guest today has been Allie Green. Thanks for being part of the show. Where can people learn more about you and what you're up to? Anything that you'd want to point people to or any lasting thoughts that you have on the subject would be great too. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. These conversations always go way too fast. I love this stuff and could talk about it for hours. Um, And if people want to continue the conversation with me, I'm always trying to post my thoughts about the remote world on LinkedIn so they can follow me there. My name is Allie Green with an E at the end. And we are publishing a book about the subject specifically for the everyday manager. Um, So those people that need more support and love in the world, it's called Remote Works and it will be available in February, 2023. So if that feels like uh, too far in the future for your listeners, um, they can visit our website, uh, remoteworksbook.com and join our newsletter, which we send out monthly and share fun, like behind the scene pictures of what it's like to write a book from two different continents with our publisher Barrett Kohler and we share remote work tips and reflection questions for managers as well. Allie it's been a pleasure thanks for coming on. Thank you so much have a great day. 